Lumos. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Harry Podcast, the show where we analyze and discuss each chapter of the Harry Potter series from a literary perspective. I'm David. And I'm Madeline. And today's episode is called Harry Podcast and Aunt Marge's Big Mistake. Today we will be discussing the parallels between Aunt Marge's prejudice and the concept of pure blood in the wizarding world, as well as the evolution of Harry's character since the last time we saw him with the Dursleys. So this chapter begins on Harry's birthday during the day. Um, not only do the Dursleys not acknowledge it, per usual, but they actually tell them that Vernon's sister, Marge, who is horrible to Harry and who he hates, was coming that day to stay for a whole week. And um, Vernon tells Harry that he has to pretend that he is a student at St. Brutus's Secure Center for Incurably Criminal Boys. Yes, and so Harry uses this opportunity to make a deal with Uncle Vernon. So Harry says, I'll behave, I'll pretend I go to this school, I won't mention anything about magic, and stick to the story if Vernon will sign his Hogmeade's letter permission slip um, at the end of the week once Marge leaves. So Harry manages to stick to the deal and control his emotions all week during Marge's abuse and blatant insults about him and his parents and his blood. Uh, until the final night when she gets very drunk and then sort of ramps up the insults, implies that his parents were drunk drivers and that's how they got killed. Yes, and so when this is happening, Harry's getting angrier and angrier and suddenly Marge begins to blow up like a balloon and float towards the ceiling. Uh, In the chaos that erupts right after this, Harry uh, uses magic to get access to his trunk and his other things and um, runs towards the door where Vernon blocks him, uh, and then Harry threatens him at wand point um, and says that he's leaving, uh, and then he runs out into the night. So at the top of the show today, we wanted to discuss something that doesn't quite fit into our main discussion, but that we still felt merited some discussion, um, which was this idea of wandless magic. So Harry uses wandless magic in this chapter at least twice, possibly three times. Um, the first being, we're not sure, but when Aunt Marge's brandy glass explodes in her mm-hmm. hand. Um, and the second and third times for sure being Harry blowing up Aunt Marge and then uh, unlocking the cabinet where his trunk and things are kept to escape. So um, we know that he did that without a wand. Um, and we know that young children can can do magic without wands, but... It seems like at Hogwarts and like in real wizarding life, that doesn't really happen so much. So why do you think that is? Like, how do you think wandless magic works? Well, you know, I don't know. I'm, I think that um, something we've talked about in some of the previous books is the idea of not only children doing magic kind of accidentally, but this whole idea of an obscurial that we've discussed before that was introduced in Fantastic Beast movies. Um, and that we think is, you know, related to Ariana Dumbledore and her situation. But um, to me, it it seems like when in times of crisis, um, although it's it's interesting that we don't see that in, I guess, ever really happening with adults, but it does seem like in times of crisis, um, wizards can make things happen just from their thoughts and from their will Mm. um and i don't know how it works i don't know if it's only certain people that could do that or if it is only children or what the situation is but it definitely seems like in times of intense fear and anger 
that can happen. Yeah. I think we definitely see more examples of that in other places within the books. So we'll keep an eye on that whole idea. Yeah, we can definitely keep an eye on that. And, you know, I think it's it's interesting to think about because we, we're never really going to have a concrete answer. But, you know, I do wonder, is it something where they're thinking of a spell in their head? You know, is that possible? Is Harry thinking of any spells? It doesn't seem like it. It seems like we would have re- heard that in the chapter. Um, you know, is it really the intense emotion? Is it the need for escaping a situation or getting out? that brings it up and it kind of again brings up this idea of magic kind of just being out in the world and sort of for the taking as opposed to um something that the wizard has to conduct through its wand right yeah and i think i think that is at the heart of the issue i think is is this idea that um magic in harry potter has always been described as like you say the incantation and you, you make the wand movement, and then you channel the spell through your wand. Um, and that obviously has been honed over the centuries as the best way of doing magic, maybe the most consistent way of doing magic. But obviously, you don't always need words to use magic, as we learn later on, and, and you don't even need a wand to use magic. Um, we see several characters just doing magic without any of that. So I think I think really the heart of this is that Magic doesn't come from the wand or the incantation or anything. It is It comes from the will mm-hmm. or the emotion of the person um, that you manipulate and then you channel it through those channels, basically through words or through um, a wand, but that if you don't have access to those things, you, you don't need them. Right. And it does, I mean, I do wonder, um, because as we will see and know that Harry is incredibly powerful as a wizard, um... And he, you know, is able to fight Voldemort and things like that. And so I wonder if it does have to do with the individual skill and or power. Um, You know, we see Voldemort fly without broomsticks, like things like that, Mm -hmm. that are, you know, we think of as evil because they're associated with him. But he also just is an extremely skilled wizard. Like He just uses it for evil, but doing things like making horcruxes and all that stuff. So... It is interesting to think about who can do it. Could anyone do it? Um, you know, maybe as a child, like we said, or in intense emotion, you can make things happen, but then you don't have ability to harness that. So you're trained to use magic through wand craft, but then once you're older, maybe if you're extremely skilled, you can kind of channel that back into wantless magic yeah you know i think there i don't want to talk too much about star wars but i think there's a parallel between like the force (laughs) and magic here where it's like emotion obviously enters into that equation yeah what it makes me think of is that there's uh i think a pretty consistent theme in this series that's never directly addressed but is sort of like omnipresent behind the scenes which is this idea that like the central conflict is about um the difference between like wizards who can love and wizards who hate basically uh-huh. and it's, it's obviously more complicated than that but dumbledore says that that's the power that harry has that voldemort doesn't is the right. power to love and it's what his mom had too and it's why he was saved when he was a baby and i think that if we bring it back to this discussion you know that love emotion is probably the driving force behind 
a lot of this deeper magic mm-hmm. behind what saved Harry as a baby. You know, Lily didn't cast a spell right. with a wand or say an incantation, but she did release magic into the world when she sacrificed herself for him. Right. And that was what saved him. So I think there is that idea of like magic being this ethereal, emotionally based um, power mm-hmm. that, that I think is really interesting to think about in that way. So this chapter provides us with our first mention of a guy whose name is Black. We don't know anything about him except that he's an escaped convict. Mm-hmm. And as Uncle Vernon points out, they don't even mention which prison he escaped from. Uh, and we also get a funny quip from Vernon about how uh, all criminals should be hanged, right. basically, <laughs> which is funny. Um, but it, it's it's a little bit ironic because we, of course, having read the book, we know that he's Harry's godfather. And in this chapter, Harry is essentially pretending to be a criminal and Sirius was imprisoned on trumped up false charges and was not guilty of the crimes that he was accused of. So it's kind of funny. They're sort of in the same position right now. Right. Yeah. So it's we're we don't really on a first read. We barely remember this. It's just an offhand, you know, kind of funny weird comment by vernon but then there's all the drama that happens in the chapter um but we know how important it is and it's very interesting that rowling will do this kind of parallel right from the beginning of you know oh harry's pretending to be a convict um and along for a long time he will believe that sirius is truly um who the media says he is and uh, we'll we'll remember that in the very first chapter of the series, Hagrid mentions that Sirius Black lent Hagrid his motorcycle. Right. So this is actually to... not his first mention. Right. So the reader has heard this name once before, but they might not remember where. Um, it's also kind of funny because at the end of this chapter, Harry runs away after blowing up his aunt and like committing a crime, which is like doing magic underage around muggles. So he's now like a convict on the run. Right. Basically, just like his godfather is a convict on the run. So there's another um, parallel that I noticed, or just kind of a theme that's becoming introduced. We we talked a lot about this last book, but the idea of bad blood, pure bloods, mud bloods, you know, all those things in the wizarding world. Um, Marge really talks a lot about. She actually uses the words bad blood, and she talks a mm-hmm. lot about um, basically Harry's genetics and um, how there must have been something wrong with his parents and. Um, it's kind of a dig at Petunia as well. She says, oh, not you, Petunia, but your sister, um, which is clearly, you know, backhanded insult. Um, but we will see that this theme continues on later in the book, not just in the general um, kind of politics of the wizarding world, but also in the idea of um, Hermione will start to stand up for herself towards Malfoy and mm-hmm. more it's there's a lot more interpersonal conflict that occurs in the book specifically around the idea of blood and family who you come from yeah definitely and we also see in this chapter that like obviously nobody enjoys having their parents be insulted in front of them but like it seems to bother Harry especially um, and I think there's very good reason for that. His parents were good people and they were killed very young and he never met them. So he's obviously extremely sensitive about this. And mm-hmm. so when um, Marge is insulting him, he just kind of ignores her. But when she insults his parents, he gets really upset. And we'll see. I think, you know, this continues throughout the series, him being obviously very triggered by this. But I do think that um, 
Harry, as he gets older and as this happens more and more, learns to control his emotions a little bit more about it. And once he learns more about his parents and gets more information, he feels a little bit more secure um, in knowing who they were and not needing to kind of react as strongly to people insulting them. So now we get to maybe the most interesting part of the chapter where we can examine the evolution of Harry's character over time. So, you know, remembering the first couple of books, um, the power dynamic in the Dursley household is very one-sided, where Harry is subject to the very authoritarian rule of his uncle and his aunt is also there, kind of. Mm -hmm. Um, But Vernon is clearly like the dictator of the household and he tells Harry what to do and he's not in the least bit afraid of him. Right. But now the power has shifted a little bit where... You know, Harry is competent enough, a wizard, and and self-confident enough that he knows that he has power. Right. Even in this very lopsided relationship. And when Vernon tries to assert authority over him, Harry is like, there's nothing you can really do to me mm-hmm. that you haven't already done. Um, and I'm not in any danger. So, you know, do your best. Right. Um, but so now Harry feels like he can bargain. For things. Right. Harry's like, I have something I want. You have something you want. Oh, wouldn't it be a shame if Marge found out about what I am? Mm-hmm. It, you know, if my tongue could slip and I could just say it, like, who knows? It'll be really hard to control myself. Right. So uh, let's make a deal, basically. Yeah. Um, and he's getting he's getting a lot better at dealing with his uncle um, and recognizing that he does have power in this relationship. And, and at the end of the chapter, we see, obviously, that power shifts completely, where Vernon is now terrified of Harry, who has his wand pointed right at him. Right. And is not afraid to curse him out of the way if he needs to. Right. And so he actually, at the end, it's both of Vernon's fears are um, realized is that he's exposed. Um, not exactly, but slightly, because Harry is saying, you know, they didn't die in a car crash and is um, kind of exposing the lie. And then he is also, of course, using his physical magic power. Yeah, and Marge's memory will be modified, so she won't remember any of that anyway. But still, yeah, for Vernon, this is a terrifying event. Yes. Another way that we see Harry develop is that he's old enough to understand now that sometimes you have to either lie or do things you don't believe in to survive traumatic moments, which is what he's going through. Kind of His whole time with the Dursleys is traumatic, but especially when he's um, with Aunt Marge, who is blatantly abusing him in a way that I would say Vernon and Petunia don't do ads much anymore. They mostly just ignore him. Um, and one of the things that we see he uses as a coping mechanism is kind of dissociating himself out of the moment, and he focuses on his book, um, so he's his broomstick servicing kit manual right from Hermione that we just talked about the last chapter so he tries to he's been reading it at night and he tries to memorize it and kind of go over pages and mm-hmm. um, we see him at certain points getting distracted by Marge because he can't remember the next part of the book and so he's really trying to be physically there but not mentally there so that he doesn't have to feel as emotionally distraught by what's going on yeah which is a tool i think a lot of abuse victims use is dissociation right um so yeah it's a very adaptive uh thing for him to do i guess um but as we see you know harry is still very impulsive and childish when he gets riled up Mm -hmm. you know his reaction of blowing up his aunt and then running away is very childish it's kind of like a you know just like lashing out 
kind of thing. And it's he doesn't think it through at all. He doesn't think through what the consequences of that will be. He knows that if he does more magic, he's risking expulsion right. from Hogwarts. And then in that moment, he's like, I guess I'd better just run away. You know, I've got money and I can hide out somewhere. But we know that he's so We're gonna famous. We're going to track him. He's so famous. So A, they're going to be able to find him so easily mm-hmm. um, because he's famous and he'll never be able to hide anywhere. Right. And two, he does have people on his side that will fight for him. Of course. You know, the Weasleys are in the Ministry of Magic and they have some power. Um, McGonagall and Dumbledore are always on his side. They've always got his back. So, you know, he's not alone anymore. He, right. he has allies and he's not thinking about that at all. He's just doing something stupid. Right. And we're really starting to see a temper and emotional control issue emerge for Harry. Right? Yes, we are. I mean, I think that he has a bad temper, as we know. And I think that he often, it's often feels like he's doing it for again the right reasons he's trying to stand up for himself or usually his friends or his family something like that it feels like righteous anger it's very righteous you know he wants to have self-respect um but like a lot of um young people or maybe people with testosterone he's not always (laughs) um he's not always thinking about the most effective way to do it he just wants to be right and get it over with um yeah he's reacting emotionally i think really is the key and and his anger is not in control at all right um another parallel i noticed was that um it really reflects the last book's disaster so almost the same at the same point in the book when harry is um at the dursleys last summer and dobby has just appeared um it's really almost exactly what happened in the last book, except that um, Dobby was the one kind of reacting emotionally and trying to defend Harry um, and, you know, do some wandless magic, as we see Harry does here, for like the pudding smashing on the ground, that kind of thing. Um, so I think that, you know, Dobby's obviously not here right now, but this is another way that... Harry is kind of feeling like if he's going to get blamed no matter what, which he obviously did when Dobby was the one doing the magic, he'd rather actually do some damage himself. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that at this point he's feeling like, well, I can either just sit here and suck it up um, and not do anything, which doesn't feel like an option for me emotionally, or I can just go all out. Right. And what's interesting to note is that Whereas Dobby's magic was intended to uh, prevent Harry from being able to leave the house. Mm -hmm. Here, the magic is what galvanizes Harry into leaving. Right. That's true. So they kind of have opposite effects, um, which is interesting. But also Dobby's plan backfires because he thought the Ministry of Magic would like expel Harry from school. Mm -hmm. um, But instead, they just sent him a warning. Right. Whereas here... As it's going to turn out, they're not going to do anything at all. They're just worried about him. Right. I noticed another parallel, actually, to the first book um, when thinking about the ending of this one. So if you recall the chapter through the trap door, um, basically Harry is just like, okay, like I'm going to rush headlong into danger without any clue of what I'm going to be facing out there because it's like the right thing to do. Right, yeah. Um, But in this chapter, he kind of has the same plan of action but for completely different reasons he's like i'm gonna rush headlong into danger like out into the real world Mm -hmm. without my 
comfort of my home or the protection, the magical protection that it provides, but not because of any righteous cause, but just because I'm mad. I'm angry. <laughs> I'm mad and I can't be there anymore. And in, it's sort of in the same breath that he's like, I'm mad, I can't be there anymore. And my reaction in anger means that I am going to be in trouble. Right. So I'm yeah. going to run away, which again, dumb decision, but. And he assumes that he'll be expelled if he gets caught. Right. right? So he's kind of just completely on the run, not thinking it through. Yeah. Thank you all for listening to Harry Podcast and Aunt Marge's Big Mistake. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion of this chapter. If you have thoughts or questions about anything we've discussed today, especially the evolution of Harry's character and behavior so far, please email us at contact at theharrypodcast.com. You can find out more about the show and listen to any of our episodes at www.theharrypodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts. Stay tuned for next time when we punch our tickets to Chapter 3, The Night Bus. I'm Madeline. And I'm David, and we'll see you next time on The Harry Podcast. Knox.